thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your life. Welcome to Wellness Women Radio for the women with big dreams who dare to be different and who want to thrive in health, work and play. Dr. Ashley Bond and Dr. Andrea Huddleston bring you a weekly podcast to help you master true health and create an exceptional life. Hello there, wonderful listeners. Thank you for joining us today on Wellisman Radio. I'm Ashley. And I'm Andrea. And we're very pleased to be having you again here this week, tuning in to uh, hear what we've got to talk about, hopefully enlightening your life with more information about uh, topics that interest you and hopefully opening your eyes to a few different uh, ways in which we believe the body can be healed through natural means and natural ways and uh, some of the challenges with some of the common drugs and medications and prescriptions and uh, over-the-counters that people tend to chat to us about and I think this is probably my number one in practice that people talk about or they actually don't talk about it that's probably the problem um, because it's so normalized it's like yeah yeah I just take antacids so what we're talking about today is actually um, issues regarding reflux and gastrointestinal reflux disorder so GERD so you'll see GERD GERD sounds like some nasty disease but (laughs) really it's talking about the uh, symptoms that are associated with the reflux of acid into the uh, esophagus. So mm-hmm. yeah, we'll have a chat today. Most people will just play things down. They talk about it like, oh, I've just got heartburn. Um, but let's talk about what heartburn is and what that body signal is all about and why some people get it, some people don't, and um, what you can be doing about it that may be a better option than possibly some of the things you're taking or doing right now. Oh, and I love what you said about um, how people just think this is kind of a normal thing and that they overlook it and it's so common. And you're absolutely right. Whenever I'm probing, uh, say during um, for a new patient, probing their health history and we sort of talk about gut function and stomach function, then all of a sudden they're like, oh, yeah, I've had uh, reflux or I've had heartburn my whole life. Yeah, it's just normal. (laughs) Um, I don't understand how someone can live with that. I don't understand um, how that's normal. And I want to give a little shout out to one of my patients, Sam. Um, or Sammy. Uh, I promised her that I would mention her specifically in this episode because this is particularly pertinent to her and her situation. So I will quiz you on this just so you know. <laughs> Gosh, we need to be starting to, you know, charge for these shout outs. We've got uh, <laughs> lots of famous people we're, we're calling out now. This is great. Well, hey, Sammy, um, hope you're listening into this episode then. I think the key here is though, like you said, how normal it is that they've had it forever and it's just so normal. But I generally think that that's not necessarily to blame that person who has that um, understanding of what they've got because yeah, most of the absolutely. time you've gone somewhere, you've had to possibly a pharmacist or a doctor or someone who believes that the this is normal and therefore they just say, oh, don't worry, just take this and just take this and that'll sort it out. Um, But I've always been one to question why. So, you know, if you're having symptoms of acidity, if you're having symptoms like reflux, my big question is, well, why is that happening? It's such a good question, isn't it? Mm. Because this is not the way the body is designed to work. These are symptoms of a bigger problem um, and definitely not something that should be just uh, brushed off or treated as as like a normal pathway because these are those little kind of nudges that your body gives you that tells you that there's something going on that, that needs to be addressed before it becomes a big sledgehammer. Yeah, absolutely. That's so true. And look, I think that the common thing here is what people generally will understand about this um, is that we've got three ways in which most people control GERD or 
the reflux issues. And um, those three things are antacids. So these are the mm-hmm. over-the-counters. This is the stuff that you'll probably be able to just pick up in the supermarket or at the pharmacy um, without a, pre- a sc- prescription or a script. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're generally things like, um, oh, what are the brand names of those? Gosh, I don't think I've ever bought oh, one. So like, um, I remember my dad taking my lantern. My lantern, yeah. Either, either um, little um, sort of almost chewables. like effervescent chewable yep. things or there's the liquid. Um, I think in the US, a similar thing is called Tums. Yes. Um, anything that you can just get from your supermarket or just directly from the pharmacist um, that is a direct antacid. And they're, they're usually fairly fast acting as well. Um, so they'll typically reduce symptoms within sort of 20 minutes or so, um, which is very beneficial, particularly if you've got terrible heartburn symptoms. Um, however, <laughs> uh, there are some risks involved in that as well. So some of the other things that you may have heard of are H2 blockers and proton pump inhibitors or PPIs. And these are things that are not over the counter. They're the prescription ones that you will need to have seen a doctor for to get the prescripts. So I think, you know, we'll have a chat a bit more about what they are and why they're there. But let's talk about why you might even be prescribed these in the first place. Like what sort of things take someone to a doctor or to walk into the pharmacy in order to think that acid reflux is a problem? So Andy, what are some of the symptoms people might experience? if they're having issues with acid reflux or GERD? The most common thing that they'll experience is that classic type heartburn sensation. So it's the, it almost feels like the the rising of the acid into the esophagus, uh, esophagus area. Um, and that might be after eating a big meal or, um, you know, eating something that maybe they feel like doesn't agree with them. People often associate it maybe with spicy foods as well. Um, you can get like bitter taste in your mouth. Um, a lot of people find a very distressing symptoms where they'll actually wake up during the night feeling that um, acid reflux or that heartburn that can interrupt with their sleep, but it can feel like that they're coughing or choking as well. They can get all sorts of esophageal irritation, gum irritation too, can definitely have bad breath. Um, There can be a regurgitation of the foods as well, can also be, as it progresses, can be associated with things like nausea and vomiting, can change um, your bowel habits, um, your consistencies of um, your bowels as well. And you can definitely get things like um, belching, burping, gassiness or flatulence and those sorts of things after eating. Yeah. So those are the most most common things. And certainly if you think about this, if you're getting acid going into areas which are not designed for acid, so going upwards instead of, you know, from the stomach, um, then, of course, anything that's going to be chronically irritating the lining of the esophagus, the mouth, the oral areas, then, of course, you can have other problems as well, ulceration, um, bleeding, lots of things that come from excessive acid in the areas where the mucosa gets damaged, the lining mm. of the um, the food tract gets damaged from this. Yes, it doesn't sound all that pleasant. Um, So these are the symptoms associated with, um, you know, that acid reflux or that GERD. But let's talk about what the actual causes are of this. And it may not be what you actually think. Um, we're going to cycle back around to the uh, the prescription drugs that are used to treat this as well and, and why that is the case. But when we talk about acid reflux, most people um, erroneously think that this is caused by too much stomach acid. That's usually what um, we're taught, that there's an imbalance of the stomach acid and then that's why you get the acid that's rising up into the esophagus giving you that heartburn type sensation and now um you know contrary to popular belief what we actually understand is that is that the stomach acid state is usually 
low rather than high when we're talking about acid reflux. Isn't that interesting? Mm. So when you're getting that, that regurgitation of acid, it's actually from a low stomach acid environment rather than an overproduction of that. And there's a very good reason for that too. And this sort of uh, falls into the whole host of um, causes that, that gives you that low stomach acid in the first place. There can be mechanical reasons for this too. So it can be, for example, if you're pregnant. Um, and Ash, I'm not sure if you experienced this when you were pregnant, but I know a lot of my preggy mummers um, can experience this reflux from time to time, which is one thing that, uh, you know, we at often doing a lot of work on um, just with you know organs smushing around and lots of things moving there's much less room in there um, it can be caused by hiatal hernias as well so um, the hiatal hernia is when the upper part of the stomach is actually um, protruded within the diaphragm and which allows some of that acid to escape or it can be what we call a pseudo hiatal hernia so it's actually just a malposition of the stomach that isn't a, um, a permanent thing and it can be from a whole host of different conditions as well. This is something that we're often working on too. Um, so these are some of the more mechanical causes of that reflux. And a lot of it is to do with um, a dysfunction of that lower esophageal sphincter that goes into the actual stomach itself. So the stomach is very well protected um, within its lining from the actual hydrochloric acid that's in there. Um, and obviously it's supposed to be very potent to be able to digest the foods that we're eating. Whereas the esophagus itself doesn't have the same good protective lining and that's why it can cause a lot of these problems too. Absolutely. And, that, and that's the thing too. This is um, where when we we talk about the mechanics, something as simple as bad posture can mm. increase the incidence of reflux because you think about it, you drop your posture forward, you drop the rib cage down, diaphragm's compressed, and you've got uh, those digestive organs sitting right there too. So you can actually be causing uh, some of the problems just by slouching in your seat at work. So ladies, if you're slouching right now or you're listening, I want you to sit up straight because um, we, you know, there's so many ways in which we can do that. I definitely got reflux um, in the early stages. Well, actually, no, it would have been later stages of pregnancy, sorry, because it was a mechanical pressure, that upward pressure mm. from the bubby. Um, but it came along as like an acidy burp. So I didn't get uh, the classic what they term, I say loosely, morning sickness because it's really any time of the day sickness for most women. Um, <laughs> I love the way they call it morning sickness because it's uh, my experience with patients is it can be any time of the day and night pretty much. Um, but, yeah, definitely mechanical reasons. So, And this is why as chiropractors as well we look at posture and people say, well, how can you fix heartburn with chiropractic? And it's like, well, we're not trying to fix heartburn with chiropractic. We're trying to um, reinstate the natural mechanics of the body. So, you know, if bad posture is a mechanical cause of your problems – well, don't keep dumping tablets in your mouth to try and fix it. You know, stand up straight. Yeah, yeah so. exactly. And there are techniques as well that we use that do specific work on the stomach or on the viscera too to help to, um, you know, reduce some of these sort of uh, mechanical causes of, say, the heartburn or the reflux too. Um but I can imagine uh, you can you can just visualize how during pregnancy that can can be a bit of a symptom that you would experience. Um, there are other things as well as the posture. So, for example, if you're over exercising, um, that really severe kind of overtraining um, without rest and repair 
can cause a whole bunch of um, changes within your intra-abdominal pressure, um, within your abdominal cavity, and can also um, give you a high risk of your reflux as well. Um, and magnesium deficiency, uh, not surprisingly there, because that's very much involved with some of the processes that lead to good stomach acid. And there's some other deficiencies as well, for example, like zinc um, that is used uh, very importantly for the stomach and that digestive system too. Yeah. Um, is there anything else that you can think of, Ash, that is uh, part of the, the causes or the makeup of that? Yeah, definitely. Look, another risk factor is being overweight. And mm. so, you know, some of the solution is rather than, again, taking medications, it's actually looking at the lifestyle factors. So reducing weight, mechanical stress, um, dietary influences. So if you are excessively overweight, then, of course, chances are the diet is going to be poor in a way that's causing some of these problems. So by, you know, focusing on healthy eating, clean eating, changing your lifestyle and diet um, with losing Losing weight, you're actually going to help this problem as well. So, oh, yeah. And that's mm. definitely one of the biggest things that can lead to uh, the reflux is your diet. Yeah. I used, I have to tell you this story because, I mean, he's gorgeous and he's a patient of mine, but um, I just laughed because, um, and I laughed because it's so common, not because I'm laughing at him. It was just, we laughed together, really. He came in and he said to me, and I just noticed he'd, he'd sort of, he had, like literally just popped one in his mouth before I walked in and I, I could still see the packet like in his hand. I said, what are you doing taking those? And he laughed. He says, oh, yeah, I just get some heartburn reflux. I'm like, okay, all right. When do you get it and how often? So we had a little chat about it and he was like, yeah, every time I get eight pizza, I get it really bad. So um, I have to pop a couple of these. And he'd just been out to lunch with friends. So, of course, he came in and he'd, he'd had pizza. Um, and I was like, oh, okay. So do you reckon the problem's, you know, eating the pizza? And he's like, well, yeah. I was like, so <laughs> is it a good idea to then top that up with an antacid or do you think it'd be a good idea to maybe cut back on the pizza? And he just laughed at me. He's like, nah, I'm not quitting pizza. I'm like, okay, so you're committing to a lifetime of like chewing on those, you know, antacids. And he's like, well, yeah, I guess so. I was like, oh man. <laughs> so, you know, we had a oh, chat about hilarious, but about the why and, and the seriousness of that too. Cause you know, it's one thing to laugh about, but it's understanding why and um, how those antacids can actually be counterproductive and cause secondary effects. So, um, but how common is that? You know, we, we eat food that's not necessarily good or right for us. Um, so rather than changing the food we eat, we just go, oh, well, look, we'll just take this because it makes me feel better as opposed to saying, well, actually last time I ate that, I didn't do too well. Try it again. Oh, Again, I didn't do too well. So instead of cutting out the food that's causing the problem, a lot of people are just taking the antacids to suppress the symptoms of bad diets. Isn't that amazing? And you know what? I am all for people eating the foods that they really, really love. Mm -hmm. And maybe that there's a reason why his system can't tolerate that. And I am, I will put my, you know, I'll put money on it that it's the dairy in the pizza. So it's the cheese that he's having issues with rather than anything else in that pizza. I mean, you might think, oh, the, maybe the tomato base, it's a bit more acidic, those sorts of things. I reckon it's the cheese. Um, I've seen classically patients with reflux symptoms that are, have problems with dairy. Yep. And Sammy, I'm telling you this all the time, get off the dairy lady. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And she knows it as well. It's yeah. hilarious. <laughs> yeah. yeah, look, um, I think the problem here is that um, we don't do anything until the pain of not doing becomes overwhelming. So this is where you need to ask yourself the question, you know, if you're listening to this and you're laughing with us going, yeah, yeah, okay, that's me. Um, we we gently challenge you and say, okay, so that's okay. This up to this point, you've done this. 
possibly unknowingly, but now you know, are you going to do better? You know, are you going to take this seriously and go, well, hang on, I have control over this. Um, heartburn is not my body being stupid or defective or inefficient. It's actually a very intelligent design trying to tell me that what I'm having is not working for my system. Yeah, exactly. And so if and we can then look there, at it like that, we can do something about it. And is there a way to rebalance your system and to help to improve your stomach function so that, yes, you can, you know, have your pizza occasionally if that's what you really want. Um, there's definitely yeah, definitely better ways about that. And unfortunately, particularly within conventional medicine, the first, you know, line of treatment is usually, you know, your antacids or then the flow on effect of some of the other um, more permanent type um, solutions or, or those prescription drugs as well. Now, this is this is big business as well. This is a $13 billion industry. So that's how much is spent, $13 billion a year on your reflux medication or your um you know, antacid medication. So that's including your proton pump inhibitors and your H2 blockers. So let's talk a little bit about what they are and what they do, but also it's really important to understand why this can be a problem as well. So, and your ladies, H- we said that's it's industry. I'm sorry to interrupt there, but I'm just I'm just thinking outside here that we talk about and we're talking about adult based stuff. Okay, so there might yes. be some ladies listening with children or babies with this kind of problem too. Um, and unfortunately, I'm seeing more and more prescriptions being dealt out to infants and neonates, young young babies as early as 12 weeks of age, are getting. PPIs, protein pump inhibitors, and it's terrifying to think that there's that uh, interference with natural design at such an early age because we're trying to deal with things like reflux or colic or symptomology that's really your baby's trying to express maybe the immaturity of the gut or, you know, some issues regarding what foods you're having as a mother that's affecting them or possibly the formula compounds that the baby's on. So when we talk about this, we're actually talking about it for everybody because the risks that are there for adults are, well, in some ways untested risks for infants because Mm -hmm. they're still giving adult medications in what they think are smaller doses for smaller bodies and smaller people. But, you know, as we know, it's not dose relationship like that. It doesn't work that way. So if you do have a mummy that you know or you're a mummy with a baby on low sec, we totally respect and understand why because there's desperation and fatigue as to why we make those choices. But we'd like to talk today about why we prefer people not to choose these because they really do have some serious side effects and the causative links to more serious issues later on is something we should really be mindful of. So this is, again, um, I guess an episode about no better, do better or informed choice. And I think it's probably a good idea to do a specific episode just on infant reflux Mm. um, because there can be a few different mechanisms that are involved in that. Um, And obviously they can't make these changes and these choices that that we can. Um, All right. So let's talk a little bit about the H2 blockers. So what what H2 blockers mean is is a histamine type 2 receptor agonist or or blocker. And these work a bit slower than your normal stomach acids, um, but they're also intended to be taken for a lot longer as well. Um, and these are actually work by blocking that, um, that stomach acid production or blocking the pathways that encourage the stomach acid production, which is a little bit scary that something is blocking the natural process of your body that's designed to really break down the food. So when it's stopping your HCL, your hydrochloric acid, um, it's also blocking your pepsin production, which is 
part of the digestive enzymes that's responsible for breaking down protein. Now, once you block those pathways, it also means that you're not triggering triggering the pancreas to then produce all of its digestive enzymes, which means you're then getting food into the small intestines that's not digested appropriately and doesn't have the right input to then digest it appropriately, which means inflammation goes up, risk of infection goes up, and it's also the perfect breeding ground for your pathogenic yeasts and bacteria and those sorts of things. So there's such a flow on effect further down into the digestive system when you don't start with those really good, um, you know, acid environment to start that process off because it triggers a whole chain reaction as well. Um, Ash, is there anything else you want to add to the H2 blockers? Yeah, look, I think there's a lot of people would have heard of this when people are being treated with um, stomach ulcers, peptic mm. ulcers. And so they are often the first line of choice, um, irrespective of whether or not people have been tested um, for other reasons, you know, bacterial overgrowth, for example, in the stomach that could be causing problems. So um, we can be taking them for a long time without actually diagnosing the underlying cause. And that's where sometimes people have gone on for months, weeks, years, and they lead to more serious problems later on because of the damage to the stomach lining. Yeah, definitely. Um, Your stomach pH is supposed to be like quite low. So it's supposed to be about a three, which means it's a very, very acidic environment. But think about what that acidic environment would be good at doing. So it'd be good at digesting foods, but it would also be very good at killing off things. So, for example, if you're eating food that maybe has some kind of bacteria or something in it, a really good acidic environment should kill that off as well. So this is why, um, you know, your stomach has that pH as well, which can also mean that once you change or alter that, you're also changing your risk of your body's ability to fight those infections naturally. That's just one side effect (laughs) that, you know, we're talking about that uh, natural immune response. And look, some of the other side effects to H2 blockers are things like, and people will just, you know, standard digestive stuff that it's easy to pass off and say, oh, it's not such a big deal, like constipation, diarrhea. So, Mm -hmm. you know, digestive changes. But then there's other things that may not be connecting. You may not connect the dots with this, such as, you know, difficulty sleeping, um, headaches, even things like ringing in the ears is attributed to H2 blockers. You read the little packet inside the box and you suddenly start to go, wow, seriously? Other things like dry skin, headaches, runny nose, and uh, troubles with urinating. Now, none of those sound too good, do they? Um, And that's just for people who get symptomatic such as side effects like this. And a lot of other people don't. And that's a big problem as well, because you don't know the damage is being done because it's silent and you don't get a response to say, well, hang on, this may not be working for me. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Mm. Um, One big concern that I have is that it really alters your ability to absorb certain nutrients. So there's a a lot of deficiencies that are associated with these H2 um, blocker usage. So one of them is iron deficiency. Um, and how often are particularly women coming in saying that they need iron infusions often? And that concerns me. So, you know, obviously your ability to absorb the iron in your food is decreased and it could be from this. Um, it's also going to decrease your ability to absorb folate, which we know is very important, particularly for the development of the new bulb, um, as well as calcium and zinc absorption too. So these are all pretty important. 
Yeah. So, ladies, I think this is um, why we say, you know, learn learn more about this. I was also fascinated when I was reading the little box um, and because you can download this all online too. So, if uh, you're taking it, you threw the box away and you just kept the little uh, capsules in your bag, you can actually go back and read this for yourself. But um, on there as well, hallucinations and suicidal thoughts. Now, that's, oh my goodness. that's pretty serious. <laughs> um, and they say, okay, it's it's a rare case. But who wants to be that rare case? Is it worth the risk? Mm, yeah, very, very good question. Yeah. Okay, so, so let's talk about PPIs now um, or your proton pump inhibitors. These are like I don't mean to sigh so much when, <laughs> when I talk about these things. Now, you may have heard their names, um, their brand names. The most common uh, that I've found that patients use is Nexium, um, but there's a whole bunch of other things. And Losec. Losec, yeah. Losec gets mentioned a lot. And, look, these are top 10 um, prescribed drugs, which is phenomenal. If yep, you think about $17 all the, billion dollar industry. Yeah, if you think about all the drugs on the market, yeah. this is a top 10. So, um, yeah, big business. Okay, so it works in a bit of a complicated way, but essentially what it does is it permanently blocks enzymes that tell your stomach to produce um, stomach acid, and these are found in the, the stomach lining or the wall of your stomach. That's a pretty scary thing to do. It's permanently telling these parts of your stomach lining to stop doing what it's doing. Um now, again, the body's pretty intelligent. It's designed to do that for a reason, so we're you know mucking with that. But PBIs um, have been called into question quite recently, actually. We posted this on social media um, not long ago. There was a very, very big study um, that was uh, published in the British Medical Journal, and it talked about the risks of using protein pump inhibitors over a long time. And it pretty much showed that it increases your, your risk of everything, including premature death. Wow, serious stuff. So, so yeah. let's let's talk about the why because a lot okay. of people think that your protein pumps are only in the stomach. Yes. Yep, and yep. that's not true. Um, with the exception of red blood cells, you've got protein pumps throughout the entire body and they do they basically transfer things across membranes of cells. Mm-hmm. Okay, and it's really important because this is a lot to do with the um, messaging pathways and the electrical potential of these cells. So as soon as you start to muck around with protein pumping systems, you're mucking around with the energy system of the body through the mitochondria. So mm-hmm. you know, then we start to see why this flow-on effect is so systemic and systemic meaning through the entire body. Um, because look, while they're generally designed to interact with the hydrogen potassium pump in the stomach through the parietal cells, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's actually research showing that they've got a non-specific binding capacity so which means they could be affecting other protein pumps within the body Um, and that in itself is a very scary thought and because this science is still evolving we really don't know the myriad of damage could be done Um, particularly the science is starting to show links with things like dementia and you say well hang on how does a protein pump that's designed to work with acidity issues in the stomach could lead to dementia which is a brain condition and this that's, is why, because a, these pro- question. yeah, because these protein pumps are systemic. So you know, one thing leads to another thing leads to another thing, as you were just describing, Andy, and that's um yeah. that's just so true. So they're um, designed to be I've fast seen, acting. So they think that because yeah. they're in and out fast, that limits or reduces the problem. But um, the reality is that's not necessarily the case. Uh, they'll continue to affect. Uh, well, science is showing they're actually affecting what we know to be a master antioxidant, so the um, ability to repair cells through anti- 
prevents oxidation of cells and that's glutathione so yeah you're like Um, wow and it also affects um b12 pathways as well which is very Mm. much involved in memory um a a bunch of a whole bunch of other things as well but that could be why um there's that link with dementia as well um it also is going to affect mood um your muscle uh tension or can give you muscle pain and weakness can certainly give you heart palpitations a whole host of digestive issues which I think is quite interesting considering this is what the PPIs are supposed to do in the first place. Um, one thing that I find quite concerning is that a lot of patients that I um, have seen who have SIBO or small intestinal bacterial overgrowth have a history of PPI use. Mm. Um, and it, there's also uh, an increased risk of things like ulcers, inflammatory bowel conditions, absolutely leaky gut or that increased permeability of the gut lining. Um Oh, man, the list goes on and on. Um, There is some research that kind of connects dots between uh, using PPIs and stomach cancer too. Mm -hmm. Um, So, look, from from these things and also from that huge study that was published in the British Medical Journal, we'll repost it again just so that you don't have to go pilfering through our Facebook page for it. It just seems that the risks are too great, particularly when this is something that can be addressed. And remember, all of these drugs that we were talking about are for symptomatic relief, not fixing what the underlying cause is. So it's just like putting a Band-Aid <laughs> over the problem or, or covering up that warning um, light on your car and just ignoring it. I so think it's, it's worse just... than a Band-Aid. I've got to be straight with that because the okay. potential damage that can be done is so significant, we can't actually just cover it up because it's it's um, it's like a spiral of damage. You know, as soon as you start to affect the stomach acid with PPIs, you end up with then pathogens in there that shouldn't be in there that would normally have been killed off by the appropriate levels of stomach acid. Once you get yeah. the wrong pathogens and these, um, well, what it's doing is is reducing the colonization in your gut. So the variability of those pathogens and normal gut flora. So basically it's reducing diversity. Now, as soon as you do that and we know about the gut-brain connection, then can you see where this link now is becoming something to do with dementia? So you may pay a very, very serious price for this um, down the track. And that's why I just don't think we can even compare it to a Band-Aid because this is just serious. Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm just um, really, I'm really scared by it. I think it's, it scares me because of its impact on the nervous system. It scares me because it's impact on overall health and well-being. Um, you know, everything down to increasing risk of cardiovascular disease. Um, there's a really big study that was in 2016 showing that they did a comparison. We just talked about H2 blockers and then PPIs. And basically the people on the PPI group, they were more likely to develop chronic kidney disease, more likely to develop end-stage renal disease. I mean, this is... Yeah, this is not small issues. These are not small side effects like a headache. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's all the doom and gloom. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Now we're going to talk about what you can actually do to hopefully help to support a good, healthy, um, good acidic environment in your stomach. Now, if you are taking any of these prescription medications, please make sure that you're working with, you know, a good health practitioner um, who has experience with this if you do wish to change that. Um, Don't just automatically come off. Um, What a lot of people find is this once they stop, particularly PPIs, your symptoms will worsen before they get better. Um, So make sure you're doing this um, 
um, under direct guidance. Yeah, they call them um, re- rebound syndrome. So that yeah. um, so you know that that's what's going to happen. So you definitely have to consult uh, doctors. Do not ever take our word for anything in the way of don't just suddenly stop medications in order to you know try things we're suggesting right now. Um, it's a really big no no to just go cold turkey off medications you've been on for some time. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so. How are we going to fix it? Or what things can you do to reduce the incidence of this? Well, look, I think the first one we talked about in the very beginning of this episode, and that's diet and lifestyle. It's um, It sounds so banal. It's like, oh, well, if it was that simple, I'd already do it. But most people don't even realize what it is that's triggering it. So you just have to play around with uh, dietary changes until you find that link that suggests that, um, oh, actually, I do better when I have this. I don't do so well when I have that. You know, cause and effect, cause and effect until you go, okay, actually, you know, spicy foods are not for me. Onion, not for me, you know garlic mm. not for me whatever it is that's a trigger for you you mentioned cheese i think you know dairy products absolutely are big ones but yeah. you're going to need to go off these sorts of irritants for anywhere from two to six weeks depending on the degree of damage in the gut to figure out whether that's the trigger so um a lot of people can use a diet uh, elimination diet you know how you take things out and then gently add them back in to ad- identify any irritants that's certainly yes. a way i'd, I'd pre- recommend people start with if you're going to change your diet around oh look there's a really strong link between um carbohydrate malabsorption um and you know reflux so that would probably be a place that i would start looking at certain types of carbohydrates that your system isn't um digesting very well so trying to increase your good quality carbohydrates rather than your poor choice carbs so things like your fruits veggies and salads you want to eat in abundance whereas you want to decrease any of the processed carbohydrates like your bread cereals pastas muffins cakes you know all of those sorts of things that would be where i'd start so looking at more um sort of a traditional type diet um i would certainly suggest starting from the mouth and making sure that you're chewing your food really really well because that's what our our teeth and our mouth are um you know designed for so chew really really well make sure that you are in a nice relaxed environment when you're eating your food you're not rushing um you know sitting down and giving allowing your body that time to digest properly is a really good idea and even things that can help to stimulate good, uh, a, a good digestive environment beforehand. So it can be a little bit of apple cider vinegar or some lemon juice. Um, I certainly recommend a bit of lemon juice, maybe with some ginger as well, which is being used, you know, for for. Oh, yeah, definitely centuries, <laughs> more than that, thousands of years um, in Western, certainly Chinese um, medicine as well, because it's those bitter herbs that can be very good um, sort of digestive um, accompaniments, I guess. Uh, so lemon juice and ginger, apple cider vinegar, um, things like sauerkraut and pickles, those sorts of things are all um, time-tested remedies that will help uh, reduce symptoms, but also promote that good, healthy environment. Um, Dairy, I would certainly recommend staying off for a while um, while you get your stomach acid rebalanced um, because it's it sort of will make things go the other way, which is why um, you can get a re- recurrence of those symptoms when you're consuming those foods. 
Yeah, definitely use uh, recommended to seek professional guidance on this one uh, Mm. because some people who are having issues with, for example, GERD um, and it's been persistent and somewhat unchanging, you might need to have a chat because there is sometimes uh, testing for Helicobacter pylori, which is appropriate Mm -hmm. um, because this could be a cause of the inflammation sensitivity. um, And if that's not addressed, then there is no amount of medication that's going to solve this, um, particularly not in the way of antacids that you need to be going, you know, for treatment for. So um, it's always about underlying cause. We talk about this so often and it's it's something that's just really important. I'd love every person when they have stuff happen, just go, oh, but why? You know, if you could ask that why question and start to think about some of the triggers, it makes it much easier to, you know, have a chat with your health professional and start to yeah. d- dig deeper. Because, you know, rather than taking information on face value, you just go, okay, that's interesting, but why? And we should be able to explain all these things, dig deeper, dig deeper, dig deeper, and then get down to that underlying cause. So the other things that I would suggest would definitely be um, make sure that you're not drinking too much liquid when you're actually eating your meals. So, for example, having like water or tea or something like that during your meals actually dilutes your digestive secretions. So I'd certainly recommend keeping lots of fluids away from your meals by at least 30 minutes um, because that can uh, you don't want to be diluting all those amazing stomach acids. Mm-hmm. Um, there's certainly uh, supplementation that can help with this as well. Um, but I think that, man, that list is so long. Um, so I would be starting with the gentle things that you can do food-based first. Um, and maybe we'll put a list of things up online that you can uh, reference from there. Yeah, and another little one here. How many of you ladies listening are chewing chewing gum? Because that can either be a trigger because it's initiating the first phase of digestion through the mouth. Mm-hmm. And so as soon as you initiate the digestive tract, you're going to then start to increase production of acid because the body's getting ready in anticipation. You're about to put something in there that it needs to break down. So um, if you're regularly chewing gum, it could be a problem. Oh, yeah, not just for those reasons, but also most of them have aspartame in them. But that's, that's, <laughs> that's that also. entirely another story that we definitely do not have time for today. Um, yep. So, ladies, we hope that you've got a bit of an understanding about um, GERD and reflux and heartburn and those sorts of things from today's episode. We would love to know what your experience has been with this. And, um, you know, for example, have you been on PPIs before? What was your experience with them? Did you have any trouble coming off? Um, do you have your own little natural home remedies that you you use for reflux we would love to hear from you so please communicate with us on all of our social media um, handles so that's facebook.com forward slash the wellness women on instagram underscore the wellness women and ladies uh please give us a five star rating on itunes because we love them um it really helps my ego (laughs) no i'm just kidding um we really do appreciate all of your amazing ratings and your amazing feedback we love hearing from each and every one of you so please keep that up um and ladies until next week be well this has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.